I want to greet you, brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, it's good to be together this evening. Look forward to the opportunity to share in this Winter Bible School topic. Um, sometimes when we have these settings, uh, it's more like a sermon, a lecture, and uh, no feedback. But I want to provide some opportunity for you to give feedback this evening, um, some thoughts you have in relation to the topic if we have time. I plan to give opportunity later on. As Lee already mentioned, the topic title is Workload, Too Much, Too Little. The way it was given to me is there's a slash between the too much and too little, so it wasn't like it was too much and too little, but uh, a little bit of a balance here. If you will, turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4.28. It's the text that came with the topic, and I want to start by reading that here this evening. Ephesians 4.28, and uh, the thoughts and the ver- scripture already this evening was very fitting. As we think about our workload, everything we put our hand to um, should be to the honor and glory of God. Let's keep that as an overarching thought this evening. Ephesians 4.28, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So we're going to dig into that verse here in a little bit, but I just want to give a few introductory thoughts to the topic before we begin focusing on the verse. As a considered workload and the way we go about our work ethic, I thought about the Anabaptist communities, Amish, Mennonite, uh, Anabaptist communities are generally known to have a good, strong work ethic. Um, not generally thought of as being slackers, but really putting themselves to the job. And as I considered that, I asked myself the question, is that just who we are? Is it just because we have Mennonite attached to our name? Or is it not rather because we are applying biblical principles to how we interact with work and how we apply ourselves to work? And certainly I hope it's the latter, not just because that's how we do, but because we recognize the God, the, the biblical practices biblical work ethic and apply it to our lives. So here as we consider the topic this evening, workload, too much, too little, probably if I was to ask for a raise of hand, most of us would say we probably tend towards too much work rather than too little. I don't know, I'm just, I'm just guessing. I won't ask any of you to raise your hand. As we consider the too much or too little aspect of it, the word too, we all know means excessively or according to the Webster's Dictionary, to such a degree as to be regrettable. And so you're all familiar with this too much aspect when you're sitting at the Thanksgiving table and as the food is coming by, you fill your plate with all the good food and you enjoy it all and then the desserts come and you take the pie and it's so delicious. And so you get your second piece of pie and as you're eating that second piece of pie, you're like, oh, it was, it's just too much. To such a degree as to be regrettable. You wish you wouldn't have taken it. You're just too full. You don't even feel good anymore and it's too much. On the other hand, it's early in the morning, you're running off to work or to school or wherever, and on the way out the door, you don't have time for breakfast, so you grab a granola bar and grab, eat the granola bar on the way to what you're doing, and around 10.30, you're like, it wasn't enough, it was too little, I don't have enough energy to make it to lunchtime, and you regret having not taken more food along. So too much, too little, there's two extremes, and as we consider the workload aspect of it, we have the workaholic that he just never quits. And then we have, on the other hand, the person that the hardest work he does is trying to get out of work. And so we're going to be looking to two extremes this evening and want to give a little um, clarity and some balance. As we consider workload too much, too little, my mind went to something simple like speed limits. I want to use several analogies throughout this, the topic this evening to help keep our focus here this evening. 
Uh, I thought about speed limits. When I left our home, when daughters and I left our home this evening, we went out our little road, and it's just a little road, and so the speed limit was 35. And as we went along the way, we had varying speed limits depending on the type of road we were on, but coming up 501, 55 mile an hour road, 55 an hour speed limit, because the road's nice and wide and mostly straight, not a lot of sharp turns. But you see the speed limit is determined, is set by the type of road it is. Uh, but no matter what the speed limit is on whatever road, there's, there is a too fast and there's a too slow. For instance, if you're traveling on the interstate where the speed limit is 65 and you're going 85 or 75, the police officer will stop you and say you're going too fast. Whereas if you're going 35 on the interstate, you'll most likely be stopped as well. And, and you're going too slow, you need to get off the road. No matter what the speed limit is, there's a too fast and too slow. I wanted to bring that in to consider this evening as we think about workload. I can't draw a line tonight and say, here's the perfect workload. And if you go on this side, if you go more than this, you're too much. And if you go less than this, you're too little because we each have varying abilities. We, uh, I think of some older friends in the church that they don't do much anymore, but they're still busy. Their workload is, is very small compared to many of our workloads, but they're, they're busy enough, and it's just right for them. And so we're going to consider this evening workload too much, too little. Regardless of the ability, there can be too much and there can be too little. I believe God is concerned about our workload, and he does care if we're overloaded, and he does care if we're not applying ourselves properly. So we want to endeavor to look at a workload that is God-honoring. I cannot draw a line for you this evening. I want to look into God's word and allow him to speak through his word to us in relation to this topic. I want to first of all look at the purpose of work here in Ephesians 4.28. We read the verse already. I want to pull out four thoughts, rather three thoughts from this verse. Notice the first thing. Let him that stole steal no more. Fraud is forbidden. The first thing we consider is we think about the purpose work. Fraud is forbidden. Let him that stole steal no more. When one person steals from another person, the thief is bypassing the labor required to gain the goods. So the thief that steals food is filling his stomach with food he didn't labor to, to earn money to pay for. He, he bypassed that whole labor aspect and stole from somebody else and he filled his stomach with food he didn't work for. When he steals money... He's padding his bank account and his, his pocketbook with money he didn't labor to earn. He didn't punch the clock and, and earn money to put in his pocketbook. He stole it and he bypassed that labor. Let him that stole steal no more. Fraud is forbidden. There's, there's labor required. Um, Proverbs 21 verse 6, just look at a few verses from Proverbs. It says this, The getting of treasures by lying tongue is vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. Notice that getting treasures by a lying tongue, by fraud, is vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. You notice there's not a good end to those that are seeking treasure through fraud. Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. And so you see again the contrast between wealth gotten by fraudulent means versus wealth gotten by labor, and there's two different uh, results. Fraud is forbidden. Bring this close to home. So when we go to work and we maybe punch the time clock, I don't know what your settings are, but are we giving our best to our boss? Or are we um, gaining by fraud, by cheating in some even small way? May we consider, let him that stole steal no more. In God's economy, honest labor is required while fraud is forbidden. 
Let's go on to the second consideration from this verse, Ephesians 4.28. If you go on, it says, But rather let him labor, working with his hand, the thing which is good. Rather let him labor, working with his hand, the thing which is good. And almost got sidetracked on this point, thinking about what does it mean to labor with your hand, the thing which is good. As we consider jobs and what we should put our hand to, I believe there's things that are good that would fall in the category of this verse, and there's things that would not be good for the Christian to do. Let's keep in mind as we labor, working with our hands, we're doing that which is good. But we didn't want to get sidetracked there. We, we notice labor is required. Go back to Genesis 2, 15 through 17. We want to consider here um, in Genesis 2, God's instruction to Adam, to the man, before the woman was created. Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. <clears throat> Genesis 2, 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Again, notice this is... Before Eve was created, this is God placing man in the Garden of Eden. And notice the responsibility God gave to the man, or Adam, as we know him. He was to dress it and keep it. The word dress there means to work, according to the original Hebrew. Adam was placed in the garden to work and to keep it, dress and keep the garden. Now, I don't know what this work looked like to Adam because it was before the fall. And so I don't believe he was having to wipe his brow with from sweat. He wasn't having to pull weeds. So I'm not sure what the work looked like, but nonetheless, God gave Adam a job. He gave him work to do. He was to labor in that garden. And so we see a principle here. The purpose of work is to exercise stewardship over God-given resources. The, the garden was for Adam to live in. And God placed him in there, in the garden, and gave him work to do. Notice work is not the result of the curse of sin. This is before sin. God gave Adam work, and let's not ever fall into the trap of borrowing from our society's view of work that work is something we just try to get away from. We see God get, work as a God-given opportunity, a God-given requirement. Work, labor is required. I believe God gave Adam a workload that was just right, not too much, not too little. God gave Adam a workload that was just right. So I'd like for us to ask ourselves a question as we consider work, our workload, do we view work as a God-given opportunity and privilege to exercise faithful stewardship over his resources? Do we look at it as a privilege to be able to work and labor for him in his kingdom? We also see in this chapter, in this, these verses, verse 16, the purpose of work is to provide things needed for survival. In verse 16, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Back in verse 15, he was commanded to work in the garden, and he knows he's going to live off the garden. He's going to be gaining his sustenance from the garden. So his work was directly connected to putting his hand to his mouth with food. And so today we talk about the breadwinner, the man, the husband that goes out and earns money to feed his family. He's a breadwinner. Labor is connected to the, the feeding of the body. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if any would not work, neither should he eat. We'll look at that verse a little bit later on. But you notice, in God's economy, the purpose of work is to exercise stewardship and to provide for physical needs. 
labor is required. There's, there's a job for us to do. Going back to Ephesians 4.28, let's look at one more consideration from this verse. <clears throat> As we consider the purpose of work, we said fraud is forbidden, labor is required, and notice the last thing in verse 28, generosity is expected. It says that he may have to give to him that needeth. So as we think about laboring, we're getting, we're gaining income, gaining um, resources, and is they, are those resources meant for our own good? So often it's easy to get that mindset, and it's the mindset of the world around us. You get all you can and can all you get for yourself. Whereas in God's economy, it's generosity that's expected. As we have resources come into our possession, they're to flow out to others who have need. The purpose of work is to have resources to help others in need. A number of years back at Christian Ministries Open House, um, I actually wasn't there that year, but they, I got some CDs of the presentations. And I remember one thing one of the presenters said is that if you earn $34,000 a year, you're in $34,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the income earners in the world. Top 1%. That number is astounding when we consider the resources we have available to us. And as we labor and go about working with our hands, the thing which is good, do we view that the income from that labor as an opportunity to give to those who have need? And we don't have to look too far around and we don't have to read too many newsletters to see many around us who have need. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. Some instruction you might say to the rich, and I believe considering the statistic I just gave, we all would be considered rich by world standards. <clears throat> First Timothy 6, 17 through 19, previous in this chapter, um, we have the thought of godliness with contentment is great gain. And so going down to 1 Timothy 6, 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Notice in verse 17, the mindset of those that have these resources, they aren't to trust in them. They are supposed to understand that it's actually, it's God who has given these things for us that we richly enjoy. But then notice also in verse 18, these things that have been given to us aren't for our own benefit and solely for our own good. It's to do good to those around us, verse 18, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute. Those words have the idea of good and imparting, uh, ready to let it flow through to others, willing to communicate. When you communicate, you're passing from one to another. And so we're, as we have resources, we are good at passing from one to another. If I have it and you need it, I'll give it. Um, in God's economy, generosity is expected. As we consider the purpose of work, do we go out to earn money, to pat our own pockets, and for our own benefit, solely for our own benefit? Yes, of course, we'll give to the needs of the church, and we'll give in the offering on Sunday, but, but that's just our duty or do we see our work as, as God's, do we see our work as gaining money, gaining resources so that we can pass it on to others? Because generosity 
is, is expected. In God's economy, the purpose of work is to have resources available to give to others. Now we looked at the purpose of work. Now let's begin by contrasting workload too much. Then we'll look at workload too little. And we'll close with a God-honoring workload. Let's think about workload too much, first of all. Are there dangers or pitfalls in having too much work? Just talked to a man today. You know, he's a plumber and uh, heating and cooling specialist. He does a lot of things. I said, how are things going? You busy? Oh, he said, we're almost too busy. We have work lined up through May. And it's, he said, it's never ending. And he was feeling, he said, it's maybe a good problem to have, but he was acknowledging that it is a little bit of a problem. So as we consider workload too much, I'm not talking about those busy times that we inevitably have that you get extra busy and then, then things slack off again. I'm talking about working at full capacity all the time, just barely getting by, barely able to, to um, get everything done that needs to be done. A couple weeks ago, I was talking with a young father who grew up several states away from here, and he talked about his growing up years. He said he always, his dad was just a workaholic. That's just how he knew his dad to be. Work, work, work. Uh, not a lot of time for other things, just did a lot of work. And what stood out to this young father was the day, his, the week that his father, all of a sudden, instead of focusing on his work, stayed home and read his Bible all week. They had been called to serve on the mission field, and they were seeking the Lord's direction. But through that experience, this young man saw something different in his father, other than just working constantly. He, his father would have had too much work, and this young man uh, saw that, observed that growing up. And so one of the questions I'd like for us to consider as we think about this topic this evening, what do our children think about our workload? Do they see us working so hard on these, maybe they're good things, but we have so little time for them? Let's beware, workload too much, and we'll bring that in a little bit later. I want to look at a couple areas where we want to give warning to the workload that is too much. Workload too much to the neglecting of responsibilities. I drive truck for a living, and so when I go out to haul a load with my truck, I have a weight capacity for my truck. If I pull a particular trailer, I can haul around 50,000 pounds on the truck safely. But if I choose to overload or accidentally overload, I'm endangering myself, my truck, and the people around me. The reason I'm endangering myself is the truck's not meant to operate overloaded, and so I may wreck the truck. I might break the truck because it's overloaded. I might hurt others because I can't navigate the turn or whatever. And so you see there's danger to overloading to, to the too much part of a truckload. We also have limitations and we can't function well when we have a workload that is too much and we're overloaded. We, if we have a workload that is too much, we endanger ourselves. We, may, we will be affected physically and emotionally and eventually spiritually as well. We may hurt others around us because of how busy we are. We aren't even realizing how we're affecting others. We might hurt others when we break under the load or when we abandon our responsibilities that we had committed to. Workload too much to the point of neglecting responsibilities. One of the times I shared this topic at a congregation, I asked for comments toward the close of the service, and one man said, one brother in the church said, and I'll just basically quote him, he said, God doesn't want his people to be overloaded and stressed under the workload. That stood out to me because as I considered what does God want for us, and this 
brother was saying, if you're overloaded and stressed out and can't even enjoy life, stop and consider. Um, it, that's not God's will for you. You're filling your life with things that God would not have you to be doing. Workload too much to the point of breaking and neglecting responsibilities. Turn with me to Mark 6. Mark 6, 31 32. We find Jesus and his disciples. As Jesus walked on this earth, number one, yes, he, he is God, but he also was living as a man. And he worked with disciples. His disciples were very much um, limited by the physical limitations of manhood. And we find here in Mark 6, 31 32, a setting where Jesus realized something needed to be done because of the workload. Mark 6, 31, And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Notice, Jesus was sensitive to the workload of his disciples. He said it was too much. They didn't have time. They didn't have leisure so much as to eat. They were so busy ministering to people. They were going about doing good things, yes, but the workload had become too much. And so he said, come and get apart to the desert place and rest a while. Now, if you read a little bit further, you'll find that as they went across to the other side on, on the ship, they departed into the desert place by ship privately. And people saw them doing that, and the people outwent them around the lake. And when they got to the other side, there was more ministering to do. So I'm not sure when Jesus and the disciples had this resting time. But the point is, Jesus was sensitive to his disciples' needs. He didn't want them to break under the load. And so he was careful about that. Turn also to Luke 14. Luke 14, verses 28 through 30. I want to read a short story that Jesus gave to illustrate the importance of counting the cost before committing to be his disciple. <clears throat> so that's the context, but I also want to apply it to the thought of being aware of how much workload we take on. Luke 14, verse 28. And which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. You see the setting. It's very easy to understand how people walking by would mock the man that didn't count the cost before he started. I would like to apply this to our workload. So many of us like to be able to say yes to this and yes to that and and we can overload ourselves and end up neglecting to fulfill the responsibilities that we said, yes, I'll do that. And so there's times we need to learn to say no so that we can start the jobs we commit to and finish the jobs we committed to and not have a case where people walk by and mock because we were not able to manage our workload. I believe we cause reproach in the name of Christ if we abandon the responsibilities we said, yes, I will do it. Beware of workload too much to the point of abandoning responsibilities. Let's also think about workload too much to the neglect of family. I alluded to this already, but when we talk about workload in relation to family, there's always going to be a tension between engaging in work to provide for the physical needs of the family and engaging in providing for the spiritual and emotional needs of the family. And so if you need to provide for the physical needs, you need to go to work, to labor, Many, many of us have jobs outside of the home or off the farm. And, but you also need to be available for your family's physical, uh, spiritual and emotional needs. And so there's this tension between the two. 
In 1 Timothy 5.8, we're warned that if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So we, we're, we're cautious. We don't want to be an infidel. We want to provide for those of our own house. So workload too much to the point of neglecting family. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Deuteronomy 6, <clears throat> verse 7. And as you turn to this, you'll it's a very familiar verse. You probably hear it every time somebody talks about child training or family life. But again, let's just notice as the Lord is calling his people to love him with everything you have and to have his commandments in their hearts. Then in verse 7, he instructs them, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Notice, when are we supposed to be teaching our children God's ways? Uh, what part of life does that entail? Does that mean uh, at the end of the day? It's all of life. It's when we are in our house when we're walking by the way when we're lying down when we're rising up it's it's throughout all of life and so when we talk about workload too much i believe that we can become so busy with our work that we neglect the high calling god has for his people to diligently teach his ways to our children he has entrusted these children as an heritage to train up in his service and when we become too busy with the material pursuits of this world and many good things at times, but neglect the spiritual involvement in our children's lives, we're neglecting the highest calling God has given us. Also, as we consider workload too much, we often can look at parents, young parents as they raise your young children, but it can also involve the grandparents among us. As you have opportunity to be involved in the lives of your grown children and your grandchildren, don't become so busy that you aren't available to minister to your grandchildren. Such a valuable opportunity. Be available to help your adult children. Give them a break from time to time. Uh, be available. Not become so busy with your workload. You aren't available for that. Also, adult children. We have a responsibility to care for our aging parents. It's easy to say, well, I'll just work a couple extra hours and get somebody, hire somebody else to mow their lawn or clean their house. But are we available to care for our aging parents? If our workload prevents us from being faithful in these areas, I believe we're too busy. Workload too much to the point of neglecting family. As we consider this topic, and particularly this aspect, uh, some of us in this room are involved in service-oriented work, providing services for people. <clears throat> in my line of work, I call for people, and so when a customer calls and wants a job done, wants a load hauled, I don't like saying no, I like saying yes. But when I say yes to my customer, because I want to provide for his needs, I often need to say no to my family. No, I won't be there for you for that. And obviously that has to happen sometimes. But if I always say yes to the point of neglecting my family, you can understand how that balance is off. So may we be careful as we choose when to say yes to the customer, because ultimately, our family is infinitely more valuable than any customer out there. Let's beware. Workload too much to the point of neglecting family. <clears throat> Let's go on to one more aspect of workload too much. Workload too much to the point of neglecting spiritual life. Inevitably, when our workload is too heavy, something suffers. And usually spiritual life 
is one of the first things to suffer, but I saved it to last to um, put the most emphasis on it and have it um, yeah, foremost in our minds. A number of weeks back, I was talking with a friend who we have a, the two of us have a friend, lives several states away, family that moved out of our area, and he was, we were catching up on news, and he was talking about this family, and, and I was glad to hear things were going well for them, except that the father is becoming distracted by his work and building his business, and he's neglecting his spiritual life. As I considered, well, he's being successful in his business, but if he's losing out spiritually, you say, what's, what's the value? As we consider workload too much to neglect the spiritual life, we want to think back to the Old Testament principle of the first fruits. God called his people to give the first fruits to him, the first of their flock, the first of their gardens, the first of their fields, the first fruits were his. As we consider our workload, are we giving God our first fruits of our time and our availability and our abilities? Are we giving our first fruits to him? Turn with me to Mark 4, <clears throat> Mark 4, 18, 19. Another familiar parable Jesus told. <clears throat> Mark 4, 18 and 19. This is a parable of the sower and the seed and the types of soil. We just want to zero in on one type, the thorny soil. <clears throat> This is Jesus explaining the parable to his disciples after he had told it to the multitudes. But in Mark 4, verse 18, he said, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Notice the seed is sown, but it falls among thorns. And I'm likening this to... Our workload becomes so much that it crowds out God's ways. It crowds out the rooting of the word. It crowds out the spiritual life. Notice the, the cares of this world crowded out the word. The deceitfulness of riches crowded out the word. And the lust of other things. The first two didn't cover it. It's other things that cause us to fall away. Workload too much to the point of neglecting spiritual life. Maybe may we beware and be careful as we consider our workload, because it chokes out the word and becometh unfruitful, and that can happen to us too. And our workload becomes so much that it chokes out the word and we become unfruitful. In Matthew sixteen twenty six, Jesus asked his disciples, "What is a man? What is a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul?" And we all know the answer to this. But tomorrow and throughout the next week and throughout the rest of our lives as we have life, are we going to be able to balance our workload so that we don't sell our soul for a profit? May we beware. Also, as we consider workload too much to the point of neglecting our spiritual life, it also comes into neglecting church life. In Hebrews 10, 24, if you will turn there, <clears throat> so we can observe just two verses here, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, want to observe the danger of a workload that chokes out our spiritual life as it relates to the body of Christ, the local church. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another and to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You notice the focus on the body of Christ. We're to provoke 
one another into love and good works. We're not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, uh, as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We have a responsibility, brothers and sisters, to bind together. And in the day we live in, it seems like it's easier and easier to do less and less church life because we have so many other things crowded in. But that's exactly opposite to what God's Word said. So, so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be more diligent, more deliberate about gathering together and focusing on building brotherhood as the day approaches. May we evaluate our workload and beware of a workload that's crowding out church life, especially when it comes to Wednesday evening services. Um, this is... This is not picking on Meyerstown in any way, but I noticed in your board back there, on Sunday there's 224 people here. Something's crowding out our availability this evening, and this happens across the church. It's very common. I'm not faulting you at all. It happens Mount Hope as well, very much so. But I'm just saying, what's crowding out our availability? May we beware of sacrificing participation at church to accommodate our work. Let's go on to the... The third consideration, <clears throat> as we look at workload too much, now let's look at workload too little. And as I said earlier, we, we have a strong work ethic in our communities. <clears throat> and may we say we don't really struggle with this one, of a workload that's too little. Well, let's consider <clears throat> um, workload too little. And the th phrase I have here, I don't know who to attribute this to, but there's a little quote I picked up some years back. It's three words, affluence diminishes diligence. Affluence diminishes diligence. And we want to be aware of a workload that's too little. We become affluent and we become less diligent. Turn with me to Ezekiel 16. <clears throat> Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50. These verses are speaking of the sin of Sodom or the iniquity of Sodom. And as we consider Sodom and Gomorrah, there's no doubt in our minds that they were wicked cities. And the sin of Sodom we may identify as what we refer to as sodomy today. But here in Ezekiel 16, God is identifying through Ezekiel the iniquity of Sodom. Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And it goes on to talk about, actually I'll read verse 50. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. <clears throat> Notice the iniquity of Sodom. They had pride, they had fullness of bread, abundance of idleness, and they did not strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Let's think about fullness of bread. Pride obviously is... Um, can be all around us, but fullness of bread. We live in a country, we live in part of the country and part of the world where there's plenty to eat. We consider the percentage of time we have to labor to gain enough food to feed ourselves. It's very small percentage compared to some other countries around the world. We have abundance of fullness of bread. There's plenty of food around. Abundance of idleness. Because there's easy food, easy income, it's tendency to be idle here in, in Sodom. That was the case, and I think we see it around us as well. And the ungodly society around us, we notice that they do not strengthen the hand of the poor. But as we consider this as it applies to the church, to God's people, beware, affluence diminishes diligence. As we have more and more available, and it's easier and easier to come, 
we tend to focus more on ourselves and less on the importance of diligence. Turn to Luke 12, verses 16 through 21. <clears throat> Luke 12, 16 through 21, another parable that Jesus spoke. <clears throat> it's another familiar one of the rich man. And it's a warning to us today. Workload too little. Luke 12, 16. <clears throat> and he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You notice the rich man, his fields brought forth plentifully. And I think all of us in the same situation would say, praise the Lord, he's providing for our needs. What a wonderful opportunity. And we may not have room to store it all. And so this rich man didn't either, so he built bigger barns to restore all the food and his goods. But his mistake here, I believe, is in verse 19 where he saw all his goods and he said to himself, that's, that's what I need and that's all I need and I don't need to be diligent anymore. I'm going to be able to live off of this for many years to come. I have it made. But the Lord God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of him because he was not rich toward God. He saw these opportunities, these goods, as for his sole benefit. Instead of continuing to diligently labor and work, he kicked his feet up and was going to take care of himself alone. Beware, affluence diminishes diligence. Beware of accumulating wealth to provide for our personal ease and enjoyment. Remember, we're supposed to be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. We, when we have plenty of money, we have plenty of time, we can go on vacations, and vacations are not wrong, but beware of going on vacations just because we can. Um, vacations should be for rest and recreation and restoration, not be, to satisfy our own desires. Affluence diminishes diligence. Let's also think about workload too little and the idea of laziness that disables. None of us want to be seen as lazy. Uh, illustration to, to bring in here, I don't know if it makes sense to you, it does to me in my line of work, as I said, I call for customers and a customer called my father-in-law and I some months back and he had 30, 40 pieces of equipment to haul uh, from one location to another. <clears throat> and so as we started the job together, my father-in-law father and I working together, um, the customer told us get as much on each load as you can. It's going to take it's going to take a lot of loads to get this job done. So we went and we put one, two, three pieces of equipment on it. We filled the loads as full as we could each time, so the customer would be happy on the other end. Nobody would have been pleased if we would have went there and said, you know what, we don't really feel like working that hard. Even though our truck can haul three pieces of equipment, we're only haul one at a time because that's all we feel like doing. As we think about laziness. The Lord gives us abilities as well, and we have capacities to work and labor um, in His kingdom and our daily labors. But if we say, you know what, I don't feel like working that hard, I just don't feel like doing it, and we become lazy, beware. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 3. Paul had a warning for the church here 
And I believe the warning comes to us today as well. 2 Thessalonians 3. I want to start back at verse 7 because we see in a couple of verses here the testimony of Paul as he labored among the church of Thessalonica. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 7. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. I'll just pause there. Notice Paul, as he labored among the church, he labored and travailed night and day. Paul wasn't lazy. He was diligent in his work. He was diligent in laboring, I assume, through tent making and preaching the word. He was, he was busy. Look at verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Notice verse 10. I read this, I quoted this verse before. If any man would not work, neither should he eat. Uh, that connection between labor and putting your hand to your mouth again in verse 10. Verse 11, we hear that there are some that walk among you disorderly, working not at all. They were lazy. They didn't apply themselves to the work. They were lazy. And so the instruction for them through, through the Lord Jesus Christ is with quietness they work and eat their own bread. <clears throat> in Proverbs, Solomon calls us to look at the ant. He actually calls the sluggard to look at the ant. He said, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Because you see, the ant provides meat for herself. She gathereth food in the harvest. She is diligent. And so the sluggard is called to go to the ant and consider her ways. When we consider that God created us to accomplish physical labor and to labor in his kingdom, to be lazy is to, to disable us from fulfilling our God-given responsibilities. We're going around with half a load when God desires to fill our lives with things that are God-honoring as we work for Him. Now you say, well, earlier you said, beware of overloading yourself. You see the balance we're trying to create here. Let's go on to the third consideration in workload too little. <clears throat> when we have hobbies that rob availability. A number of months back, actually it was the beginning of January, we were at a family get-together it's the first part of January, and I was talking with one of the family members from the northern part of the state and asking how things are up there. He, he's a farmer, and so he was talking about how things are going. Yeah, he said, all the crops are in, and which you would assume in January that was the case. Oh, he said, except for one neighbor, he was busy hunting all, fall, all through the fall and deer season and various hunting seasons, and, and so he didn't have time to harvest his crops. And so his corn's still standing in the beginning of January, which northern Pennsylvania is not a good idea. But he was busy with his hobby of hunting and these various things, which happened to the farmer, good farmer, and yeah, good man and all that. But my point, what I wanted to give here is we consider workload too little. When we have hobbies that rob our availability, we have these hobbies and sports that we just enjoy so much, but take our energy and our focus off of the work that is before us and that should be getting done. In 2 Timothy 3, 1, Paul warns, this know you also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And he goes on to say that there will be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And so again, back to the thought of seeking to please ourselves 
rather than seeing the work that is before us that should be done, and we have a workload that is too little. Let's go on to the fourth and final point. As we consider workload, we want to observe a God-honoring workload. We looked at the extremes already this evening. We, we observed the, uh, the purpose of work. We looked at workload too much. We looked at workload too little. But is there a middle of the road? Is there a, a God-honoring workload? Bring in one more analogy or illustration. <clears throat> we live about two miles from the Susquehanna River, and a couple years back we bought a canoe. We don't take the canoe out, out of the river all that often, but when we do, I do enjoy it. And oftentimes it ends up with me in the back of the canoe and one of my younger children in the front. And so we go down the river like this, uh, not quite balanced because I'm heavier than any of my children. And so you can understand how that's not the best way to navigate around with a canoe. It works, but it's not the best way. Another time we went canoeing was quite a number of years ago with some friends from church. We went on a hunting, tri hunting trip and we canoed in uh, the west branch of the Susquehanna River, uh, took all our supplies in to go hunting, and I just went along to cook. And, but we loaded the canoes down. I mean, we were, the river was really high too, but the side of the canoe was only above the water by that much, and we were loaded down. And that's not a good way to navigate the river either. The best way to navigate the river is to have a, the canoe that's properly loaded, balanced well, not overloaded, not too light, just, just properly loaded, and that's the best way to navigate a river. As we consider a God-honoring workload, I believe we understand the analogy. We don't want to go through life too light, bobbing along, nor do we want to be overloaded, but we want to find that balance that we can navigate through life. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 8, Again, I read this before. Neither do we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we may not be chargeable to any of you. I believe Paul had a God-honoring workload. He was busy, yes, but he had a God-honoring workload. In Romans 12, 11, we're called to be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And if you will, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 and 12. Very similar verses to the instruction Paul gave in 2 Thessalonians. <clears throat> but just want to zero in here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 as we consider a God-honoring workload. Jumping in verse 11, that you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we command you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. Notice the call to do your own business. Again, the idea of working with your hands, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without. Remember, fraud is forbidden. We're to be honest in our labor. And that you may have lack of nothing. A God-honoring workload, I believe that's what I observe in these verses. As we consider a God-honoring workload, are we willing to, as a church, help each other along in this area? As I considered accountability within the church. I think there's two areas we generally don't do quite as well with being accountable to one another is in our finances and possibly in our workload. When's the last time you had a brother or sister come up to you and say, you know, you're too busy or you're not busy enough? When's the last time you went to a brother or sister and admonished them one way or the other? We generally just, at least I observe and I, for myself, I ooh, don't want to talk about that. But are we willing to have others correct us if they see a workload that is off balance one way or the other? Are we willing to be corrected? Are we willing to admonish a brother or sister if you observe 
their workload is too much or too little. If you will turn to 2 Corinthians 12, 15 for one final verse, and I want to open up for your comments of how the Lord is speaking to you and your workload. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15. Another verse um, where Paul is speaking of his availability and his desire to serve the church at Corinth. And I just want to apply a couple phrases from this verse to a God-honoring workload. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'll be loved. The first part of the verse is the thought I wanted to pull out from this verse. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. As we consider God-honoring workload, do we place ourselves in God's hand to be spent at his discretion? We'll very gladly be spend and be spent for his, according to his desire and his will. We just open ourselves up to allow him to direct us. I believe as we place ourselves before God in that position, he will faithfully guide us in a workload that honors him. So we looked at the purpose to work. Remember, fraud is forbidden, labor is required, and generosity is expected. We had the cautions of the workload is too much, the cautions of the workload is too little, and we observe a God-honoring workload. How's the Lord speaking to you? How do you find life in your workload? Any testimonies or comments uh, before we close? not. May the Lord continue to speak to us, allow him to guide us as we seek his will for our lives. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Father in heaven, thank you again for the time here together this evening. Thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters here as we're able to look into God's word this evening. Pray that this topic would continue to speak to our hearts. Pray that as we go throughout life and make these determinations and decisions about what to fill our lives with, that we would seek your will and direction. Pray that we would view work the way you view work and that we would always choose the work that would honor you. Never overload ourselves to the point of neglecting the important things of life, nor being slothful or lazy in any way. Pray that we as the brotherhood here at Myerstown would be faithful and admonish one another in this area and that we would have a workload among the congregation here that would be honoring to you. Pray that there would be, never be a lack of willing workers in the church for busyness and other pursuits of life, but that we would be available to do your work and your will. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Call for a song.